Hello. Hello. Welcome to Pop Tarts. Bing, 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 bing. <laughs> I'm Emily Rems. I'm Callie Watts. We are both editors at Bust Magazine in Brooklyn, New York, (laughs) and we're pop culture junkies. We love talking to each other about pop culture, and we love talking to you about pop culture. On today's episode, we're going to spend the first half of the show talking about the Hulu original series, The Handmaid's Tale. It's terrifying. And then we will be coming back for the second half for our regular segment, What You Watchin'. What You Watchin'. What You Watchin'. (laughs) How can you love a child and name it Grover? Trend alert. Trend alert. Face mask. 2017. Did the the umbrella go up the butt? I got sucked into another really weird hole. Callie, you're always in a weird hole. (laughs) So first, The Handmaid's Tale. The Handmaid's Tale. Coming out, 10 episodes, original, all brand new on Hulu. Uh, this particular, I don't know if you could call them miniseries, it's more of a maxi series. 10 yeah, episodes 10 is episodes a lot. A lot. Um, this series is based on a dystopian future novel written by Margaret Atwood in 1985. It has never been out of print. And yet it has never been more relevant than it is right now. Uh, it was made into a film in 1990. Once upon a time in the recent future, a country went wrong. The country was called the Republic of Gilead. I didn't see that, did you? I have seen parts of it online, but I've never seen the whole thing. And uh, now Hulu has given it the whole shebang. Under the watchful eye of Margaret Atwood, who is a producer, a consulting producer on the show, mm-hmm. uh, April 26th, 10 episodes coming out on Hulu. This adaptation of the novel stars Elizabeth Moss as Offred. She's amazing. And the concept of the story is, in the not-so-distant future, there is a militarized takeover of the U.S. government. And this military reinstates a return to traditional values that are quite frightening and Puritan. And one of the main concepts of this new world order is that women have all of their civil rights revoked. In this new world, uh, there's also rampant sterilization. Not, Not that people are being sterilized, but because of Environmental environmental factors and disease factors. There is rampant infertility throughout America. And as a result, there are women are divided up into classes. There are commanders and their wives. Um, women are just assigned to men to be their wives. And then there are... Mar- is that how that works? Because it didn't really... I only saw the first three episodes and I was... Not really sure how the women... I'm sure they'll clarify it in the world of the series. In the world of the book, they make it sound like if you're a very high up person in the government, you can actually choose your spouse. But the lower castes get women assigned to them by the government if they're good. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then you have women assigned as household what they're called Marthas, who are basically maids and cooks. And then 
if you are one of the few women remaining in what was once the United States who has two working ovaries and is determined to be fertile, then you are a handmaid, which basically is a status of sexual servitude. Why would they not just assign the women that can still have babies to the generals? Is that just so that they can keep having sex with other women and call it something different? Right. I think these these the the commanders of this new government the government hasn't been around for very long. We're talking about two or three so years. So these people wives. already have wives. Oh, okay. Uh, but so many of the wives of the ruling class are infertile that they are assigned handmaids who are the few remaining fertile women left in America, or what was once America, what is now called Gilead. <laughs> right. And Offred, the the protagonist of this piece, is a fertile woman and she is assigned to a ruling family to uh, have sex with Alfred. Right. You take your dude's name. <laughs> you, her name was removed from her and she was given the name of the dude who she is servicing. And her only function is to try to get pregnant by him because his wife can't. I find it crazy that they're called Martha's because this is before Martha Stewart's reign <laughs> but the women that are supposed to be like the t- domestics the are domestics called Martha's. Are Martha's she anticipated She's so much in the future the reign of Martha's so I wanted to talk a little bit about the world that the novel was written in because it it's so interesting to see how the societal forces that caused the novel to be written and how so much has cycled back in terms of women's the struggle of women in this country that has made this work so relevant again when i saw the trailer it was the same day that trump made it okay for states to defund planned parenthood right so i was like well we're already creeping interestingly enough i thought callie you in particular would enjoy this margaret atwood who is a canadian author of the handmaid's tale she studied Puritans at Harvard and religious persecution, and she was actually very fascinated with the Puritans in America because Margaret Atwood dedicated The Handmaid's Tale to her own ancestor, Mary Webster, who was accused of witchcraft in Puritan New England and survived her own hanging. She survived her own hanging? Yes, ma'am. <laughs> How? All I know is that they they strung her up and she lived. That's fucking witchcraft. That's amazing. <laughs> so you're saying she actually was a witch? Hell yeah, I am. <laughs> so that that's a fun little fact. But in 1984, when Margaret Atwood began writing the, the Handmaid's Tale, women in the United States were seeing all of these amazing strides that they had made during the second wave feminist explosion of the 60s and 70s, totally being dialed back, totally being repealed. There, there's a book called Just Backlash, Margaret Atwood, Feminism, and the Handmaid's Tale written by an academic named Shirley Newman. And she outlined how all these attacks on women were occurring during the Reagan administration when the Handmaid's Tale was mm-hmm. written. She says, and I quote, Women made up an increasing percentage of those in the lowest paid occupations, and they made no gains or lost ground in the better paid trades and professions. The number of elected and politically appointed women declined, 
One-third of all federal budget cuts under Reagan's presidency came from programs that served mainly women, even though these programs represented only 10% of the federal budget. The average amount a divorced man paid in child support fell 25%. Murders related to sexual assault and domestic violence increased by 160%. While the overall murder rate declined. Meanwhile, the federal government defeated bills to fund shelters for battered women, stalled already approved funding, and in 1981, closed down the Office of Domestic Violence that had opened only two years earlier. Pro-natalists bombed and set fire to abortion clinics and harassed their staff and patients. Medicaid stopped funding legal abortions, effectively eliminating freedom of choice for most teenage girls and poor women. Several states passed laws restricting not only legal abortion, but even the provision of information about abortion. And the debate about freedom of choice for women flipped over into court rulings about the rights and freedoms of the fetus. And the Equal Rights Amendment was defeated. That all happened during the Reagan era. And so Margaret Atwood wrote The Handmaid's Tale to really make a point that the rights that were being rolled back for women in even more serious ways in other places in the world, like the Iranian revolution in 1979, where women lost all of their Mm -hmm. rights, that she wanted to point out that the same thing could happen right here in the U.S. Yeah, I saw a bunch of um, articles with her where she was like, I didn't make this stuff up. This is all things that have happened in other places and different points of time in history. Right. She's not pulling shit out of her ass. So to have this story come out now during the era of Donald Trump, is so chilling that while I was reading the novel in preparation for the miniseries to come out, I felt physically sick. Really? Yeah, like I had to put it down because the nausea was getting too real. heavy. I, it's I told so you, real. I told you that some buffoons out there think that she just that this show came out as an anti-Trump propaganda. They didn't realize there was a book that was written like in '84. They didn't realize that this TV show had already been. Like said that it was coming out before Trump was elected. So yeah, yeah. I mean, like, they started production on this before the election. This was actually had nothing to do with Trump. Trump was just like, I like that book, The Handmaid's Tale. Let's make shit look like that. <laughs> if Trump oh actually God. read books, Donald <laughs> Trump has think, never read a book in his life. Do you think that he? I mean, no, he probably is Donald not. Trump does not know that this show exists. Donald Trump does not know that Margaret Atwood exists. I bet he will. He'll probably Twitter Handmaid's Tale. Fake news. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. But it's but the emotions are not fake news. The emotions are very real. And the world in which it was written is the world that we're living in today. Yeah, it's getting there were a lot of points where I was like, sweet baby Jesus, this is going to be us. Yeah, this is totally going to be us. I read um, and Elizabeth Moss is so good in this. And there was a article talking about how the showrunner Bruce Miller she doesn't wear makeup in the entire show right because he want he felt like it would be a better way for people to see the tiny way she develops through through the thing her facial expressions will come through more really yeah she I, she's not the only one who doesn't wear makeup none of the handmaids wear makeup and they're the the cast is Besides the cast being very talented actors, they're also very naturally beautiful yeah. because they're not wearing any makeup. We've got Alexis Bledel, yeah. a.k.a. Rory Gilmore, as a handmaid off Glen. I have never seen Gilmore Girls. You know this. Mm-hmm. Well, I tried to watch and I was like, well, 
No, no shade on anybody that likes it. It was just you heard like, like la la la, and you were like, click. I was like, this is so. Why am I? Why do people like this? I can't get there, but. I like her in this. I Alexis like, Bledel is really good. I in was this. like, you know what? She's not annoying. <laughs> and the very beautiful and talented Samira Wiley from Orange Is the New Black is so also a handmaid. Good in, this. in it. Oh my gosh, that character is amazing. Mm-hmm. I tried to. There's parts I want to talk about, but I don't want to give away spoilers. But like, when the this isn't really a spoiler, but when the when they go to attack the protesters, right? That scene is so good. Well, that scene, I don't think that that's a spoiler because you, the inevitable question comes up. If you were I'll in, there. if you were in a world in, in this particular society, there was a mass terrorist event where the president and everyone in line to become president are all murdered simultaneously, and the military takes over the government, and everyone's just sort of. In a holding pattern, like, well, you know, this is just for now until the country stabilizes. But in the meantime, uh, this military government takes all of the rights and property of women away. Yeah, they take their bank accounts and they give the their either their husband or their next of kin. Who's a man. Get in, all of their gets property. control of their property and their And money. women are no longer allowed to work, just like in Iran. And then when uh, that happens, and Elizabeth Moss, she had, I think it was a couple thousand dollars in the bank, and her husband goes, I'll take care of you. And um, Moss and what's the name of the orange? Samira team? Wiley. Uh, they're both like, get the fuck out of here. What's she just <laughs> saying? Like, Pedal it back now. We don't need you to. We're not supposed to need you to take care of us. And now we, you think that just give her the money back. Ain't nobody got to know. But exactly in the way that women took to the streets when Donald Trump got elected in this not too distant future, the women who have their rights suddenly and and shockingly revoked take to the streets in protest and uh, the provisional government just starts gunning them down. Mm-hmm. And so like it, that was a very shocking moment for me uh, even though it, it sets the scene for everything going forward so I don't think that it's a spoiler because you people, knew it I mean you know it had to happen they like had to get how there is it somehow how is it that these women became enslaved the soundtrack is so good they were playing Heart of Glass it's like very modern soundtrack right. because it's taking place in the future yeah and the the songs you're just like this is what a weird pick for this but then you're like no you know usually a lot of things will Something though that serious, you don't have a lot of vocals in the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. But they pick like very specific songs that at first you're like, why this song? And then you're like, oh, that's very poignant actually for that specific scene. Yeah, it just in in this era where there's we're doing so much marching, we're taking to the streets so often to see that as um, one way that America could and has in the past chosen to resolve these kind of civil rights issues is so chilling to watch it just like it it rocks you to your core there's been a lot of talk about dystopian fiction ever since donald trump took office like uh i get most of my reading material from the new york public library and i sort of it's a great barometer for like how people in New York are feeling about things when you get to the waiting lists for certain books Mm -hmm. and the waiting list for 1984 and Brave New World and The Handmaid's Tale totally exploded after the election. I think I was, when I got into The Handmaid's Tale, I was in like the 200s in terms of having to wait for it so I could read it. Um, 
You know, I was wondering why I, I hadn't read it in high school, because you know, I was in I I was in like advanced literature classes. We ran almost everything that's on the top of the list, but then that one I realized was banned in a lot of schools. It was banned in a lot of schools, and it's the only like of those big three dystopian novels is the only one that's super overtly feminist. And they said it was banned because it's anti-Christian and um, too sexual. Just get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Just get the fuck out I would hardly call what happens in it sex. It's and, something sex adjacent. And they're not are they're not Christians because they're knocking down all the churches, right? Right. It's this weird new Puritan-esque. New but the, the important thing to realize about the world of The Handmaid's Tale is it's not Christian in the way that we think of it in this society they're cherry picking things from the Bible to help support their worldview mm -hmm. and discarding the which rest. is generally how shit storms happen how when it involves religions religious yeah they're like this is my happen. part that I'm gonna harp on yeah and forget the rest that you could use to defend yourself against right so I would say that it's not so much anti-puritan or anti-christian as it is warning against fundamentalists cherry-picking what they want from religious traditions as mm -hmm. a form of societal oppression. Truth. <laughs> <laughs> Something else that I love about the series uh, is that even if you've read the book, you don't know what's going to happen because under the watchful eye of Margaret Atwood, they have expanded the universe of the book and there are things happening in the show that are not from the book, but very easily could because they're they're crafted really carefully and thoughtfully that anything that you see in the TV show that I've I've seen three episodes so far could easily be a scene from the book, but not of all of them actually are. Um, so it's exciting to get more to get bonus material, because, you know, when books are turned into films, normally what you're watching for is what's been cut. Mm -hmm. How many things have been cut for time? How many sort of important threads of a novel have been cut short um, that leave a, a narrative somewhat truncated? I feel like when you're when you're familiar with a novel and then you watch the film, those are the things that you're looking for. And in this particular case, because they have this long 10 episode arc, it's the exact opposite. You get everything. And then you get more, mm -hmm. more surprises. One of the things that I found very interesting was that in this remake, they have made the handmaid off Glenn, played by Alexis Bledel, gay, and Samira Wiley, Elizabeth Moss's best friend from before the revolution, is also gay. In the book, only Moira, the best friend from before the revolution, is gay. And that her handmaid friend off Glenn is not. And there were also no people of color in the book originally, right? Because I think they put the, when they, if you don't do what you're supposed to do, they send you a toxic cleaning camp, right? Yeah. And, um, so I, I didn't read the book, but I read this in an article that there, there were no handmaids that were people of color in the original book. And then they adapted it now because. Right. It's, it, it just wouldn't, fly uh, also what i found interesting is that even though they adapted it to keep up to date you know there's like phone cell phones and things right. like that they could have done um in artificial insemination 
to get these women pregnant. But if you have a man-controlled society, they're going to want to have sex with whoever that they can have sex with. So they're like, oh, we could go the other way, but I still want to get it in. Right, but even with the technology of artificial insemination, I, I see why it would still be a handmade situation because they're returning to these quote-unquote family values. And there's all of these very twisted rituals around the handmade system that are created to make the wives of the ruling class not feel left out of mm-hmm. the procreation process. So not only do they are they in the room with the man and the handmaid while conception is occurring but they're also have their own special ritual when the babies are actually born they're not just in the room there's the handmaid is on the lap of the lady right so i i think that that would cover any sort of questions about artificial insemination but i mean i feel like you could still because if they're i mean the mother could just be with the the lady the whole time you know instead of I mean, I just feel like it was very much like, this is how a dude would play it. He'd be like... Right, if the dudes are in control, then they're going to do it the old-fashioned way. Yeah. <laughs> I was also really excited to see this character actress named Anne Dowd. She plays Aunt Lydia, who's the woman who runs like the training center for uh-huh. the handmaids. I have admired her work for so long. I don't know if you ever saw the movie Compliance. That uh-huh. was based on like a real-life situation where someone called into a fast food restaurant and convinced the owner to that there one of the women women working for him was a criminal and needed to be detained. I remember this. I didn't see it. And they they made it. a fictionalized version of that real case into a film called Compliance and Ann Dowd was in it and she was so good. And she's also played a wide array of different people over the years on Law and Order. Oh Chung shit. Chung. Chung, Chung. And every time I would see her come on, I'm like, oh no, I'm gonna cry. <laughs> It, it's that lady again. And that lady, for a long time, she was that lady who makes me cry on Law and Order until I saw Compliance and it was like, oh, it's Ann Dowd. She's the best. And so she's in this as well as a very terrifying character. And I'm happy to see her there. Yeah, this all around, it's eye-opening for sure. I, I'm saying that uh, Elizabeth Moss is going to win Emmys. You think? I think the show's going to win this Emmys. This is going to be a tough Emmy run year. That's right. There's a lot of good things coming out. But I really feel like it's a brave thing for a company like Hulu to be doing. Yes. Completely. Overtly feminist. And I would say that it's anti authoritarian in a way that we need right now, really desperately. They couldn't have picked better timing for it, for sure. The timing is perfect. And I feel like everyone should really watch it so the numbers are up so that. The powers that be know that women that f- want this shit. Women want things that uh, that support our feminist agenda. <laughs> yes, I'm psyched. Let's watch it. Let's watch. <laughs> so we're gonna take a little break, and when we come back, I'm going to ask Callie what, what you watching. I'm Julia Bainbridge, host and creator of The Lonely Hour. It's a podcast about loneliness, but it's not a bummer. In each episode, my guests and I explore what makes us lonely and why. We've delved into the pleasures of solo travel, 
I need to go someplace that's profoundly lonely just to sort of get back in touch with that part of myself. The isolation of fetishes. My fetish was fixed very, very, very early in life. When you were spanked as a child, something sexual was not happening to you. But when I was spanked as a child, something sexual was happening to me. And many other experiences that define what it means to feel alone in all its various and nuanced forms. Please subscribe to the show on iTunes. And to stay in touch and share your own story, please visit thelonelyhour.com. And we're back. We're back. Callie Watts, what you watching? What am I watching? What am I watching? Well, what have you been watching? I've been doing my girls' homework. Can we please talk about girls? It is finally done. It's done forever. It's over. I still didn't feel like I had enough Shoshana. (laughs) Even after all of that, even after her massive meltdown in the bathroom... Yeah, I mean, but we barely, you know, that's all we get from her. That's, she's just like, I'm done with you bitches. And I feel like it's kind of bullshit because the way she realized that her friends were being shitty, needy people was a guy had to tell her that her friends were being shitty, needy people. I didn't get that vibe. I feel She was like my fiance, you know, like, Uh. and then I was like, oh, well, you ruined that for me. (laughs) (laughs) But she really voiced a lot of the frustrations that people have had with the show from the very beginning oh yeah in a way that was quite hilarious I was like well thank you for coming around but I really wish it hadn't she had gotten there in a Mm -hmm. different way yeah I have to say that I'm shocked that in this in the final episode now Marnie wants to help raise Hannah's baby why are all these people lining up saying they want to help raise this one single mom's baby like what in what reality does that happen exactly you had brought this up before and I, I immediately was like Rims is so right. And is it because that she seems like such a like... Such a mess? Yeah, such a hot mess that they're like, that baby's never going to make it out. But real talk, we've all had friends who are hot messes who got knocked up. And they get it together and they have they raise a kid. We're not putting our lives on hold because we have friends who are hot messes who are knocked up. That's not happening. That's not how it works out. I mean, I know it takes a village. Yeah, but you, you go, you help, you contribute, but you don't like... I'm going to move into the woods with you, drop my life, and raise your baby. I don't want to make it sound like I'm drinking Haterade. I, on the whole, have enjoyed Girls very much. And Hannah has always been my favorite character on Girls. Really? She really has. And so in the final episode, it was really a bummer for me to watch her be so terrible and selfish and out of control. Like, in in the last moments I'm ever going to see her ever in the history of time, like... I wasn't ready for her to be such an asshole the whole time. And what? I, that is the only time that I could understand her being a terrible, selfish asshole. Because she's been doing that. That's her look. But going through like the birth and the baby not wanting to nurse, that fucks with your head a lot. So in that time, I could see like she just feels like she's failing, that, you know, that she should be able to breastfeed. She feels like she's not connecting with the baby. She's got Marnie there telling her how to do everything all the time. So... In that one instance, I'm like, oh, okay, you're just an emotional mess because you just birthed a baby and you're not, you're getting dragged out. This is way more rational to me than every other time she's been a selfish kind. Right. I, I think perhaps some of my upset has to do with the concurrent reading that I've been doing 
as this final episode came around. Since the last time we spoke, I started reading Between the World and Me by ta Coates about the reality of being a gentleman of color in America. And I'm looking at this little brown boy in her arms filled with terror like how <laughs> how is this child going to negotiate the world of America as a gentleman of color with this insane narcissist as his only like guiding force how is this going to happen I'm so scared for him and which may be why everybody jumps on board to be like let me help you raise that baby because she named that kid Grover and that's not I'm right. not okay with that at all that's I it mean, you can name a kid whatever you want all right but that's hateful no I can still think that name is terrible how can you love a child and name it Grover <laughs> I completely agree if it's not a Muppet I it's thought not she was okay. joking when she said the name at first and I was like now nah, she really went there and she named totally kid did that Grover yeah that's a terrible name <laughs> no offense to anybody who named their kid Grover but offense to you <laughs> <laughs> no offense to you if you're named Grover but offense to your mom if she named you yeah. Grover it, I mean I felt so bad for Hannah's mom right like mm-hmm. uh, she really just like laid into her unfairly and but the mom kept it together she was like all right if that's how you want to act i'm so glad the show is done <laughs> bye girls and then um oh yeah i had you watch this movie the mermaid you had me watch the mermaid is so crazy it is this chinese rendition of the little mermaid and it's actually um my husband camilla had found a clip on facebook and it, it was just like a super short scene from the in an action scene and I was like what is this we need to find that full movie and it's on YouTube the first time we watched it we couldn't we didn't have one that had subtitles and so we just played like mystery science theater with the dialogue uh-huh. and we were just watching the mo- the visuals and we really had no concept but it was so you could still follow like visually the it's amazing and then, so there's like mermaid it's another time where there's like um, these people are trying to get rid of the mermaids and they use this sonar noise that's killing them. And um, the, one of the mermaids cuts her fin so that she can walk and is disguised <laughs> as like a regular she person. She stuffs her little fishtail into sneakers. Into these yellow high tops. And then um, it's just, it's insane. There's like an octopus. Uncle. Uncle octopus. Uh, yeah. And the part where he has to eat his own, or he's cooking his own octopus legs because he's pretending to be a chef. <laughs> It's crazy. It's so insane. And that crazy rich dude that's always on the jetpack. Uh-huh. There were so many good characters in it. It turned out to be the number one grossing Chinese film of all time. I didn't know that. Yeah. They definitely put some money in it because it was really amazing looking. It was so good. And, did the, and also wacky. It's so, it was like a rom-com action film. Adventure Wacky. Comedy, yeah, it was really out there. But it's like super slapstick. It was like that. There was like a drag queen mermaid at the beginning. I thought he looked a lot like Fred Armstead. Armisen. Yeah. <laughs> if you look at it again, you'll be like, like, he a, does kind of look Chinese like him. Fred Armisen. And then um, shout outs to her weed print socks that she wears all the time. There was just so many weird things in this movie. I I, I suggest everybody try to watch it. It's called The Mermaid. Yeah. And then what else? Oh, I've been watched all of Chewing Gum. It was I wish that was ten episodes long. Oh, how many episodes is the new season? It was five or six, something like that. Tell the good people about Chewing Gum if they haven't watched it yet. Chewing Gum is amazing. It's a 
British show that's written uh, and stars. What is the we've. She's in the new bust, right? What's her name? Uh, Michaela told... Cole. Michaela Cole. It stars Michaela Cole, and she. it's based on a one-woman show that she wrote, and now she has two seasons of her own series that's semi-autobiographical. That's why the season is so short, because she writes it all herself. There's only, She's the writer for it. And it's about this... Um, she's like 25, I believe, uh, British, black, super awkward... Um, virgin and she's trying to lose her virginity and she's just like there's so many crazy things like there's an episode where she hooks up with this white guy and he just fetishizes on her being black and he's like I've never hooked up with a black girl before blah 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 and then he tries to get her to dress up in this tribal outfit before they have sex and she's like so she's she's so sheltered because she's raised in a super conservative religious home yeah just like the craziest stuff goes down around her because she's so sheltered she doesn't know that it's shady it's just so ridiculous and this is on Netflix right Mm mm-hmm her best friend is this hilarious gay character that's always there for her. Like whenever he need, in the first episode, she needs like an outfit and he comes over and styles her up. He's like always like her number one wingman. Isn't that her cousin? No, her cousin is the one who's her character's name is Tracy. Her cousin's name is Tracy. Tracy. Boy, Tracy! He's in love with her and always trying to hook up with her. And she's like, you are my my cousin. cousin. (laughs) Right. Oh, and then her sister, who is also a virgin, but more like way more reserved than Tracy and less like willing to go out and try things. And so she makes this like lose my virginity scrapbook. Oh, and she does it like play by play. And then she goes out, walks a couple blocks, meets a dude and is like, brings it back to the house. And she's like, let's do this. And she goes, <laughs> she's like, we're going to do it in Tracy's room because I heard sex smells and I don't want, um, <laughs> I don't want my mom to think that I'm having sex in her house. But the nice thing is they don't make them, they don't really feel like crap about it. They're not like attached to their virginity so much. They're mm-hmm. just like, well, that was a mess <laughs> you know but they're not like it doesn't devastate them and they just like lady centric comedy for it's, the win it is one of my favorite shows i think that i have seen in a long time what else oh um i caught a little bit of this run old run dmc film called tougher than leather have you ever seen that no it's from back in the day in the 90s but um I'd only seen it, saw a clip because I was like walking through and then I was like, oh my gosh, they were playing um, this go-go song from the junkyard band called Sardines. Go-go was like very specifically regional music to Washington, D.C. So right. maybe you're, you're probably familiar, but people outside of D.C., no, 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 go, go. <laughs> you know? <laughs> that was also the 90s. Yeah. Well, it started in the 60s, 70s. Oh. And um, so then I, I got on a go, go tear because I was like, Camilla was like, how do you know the word, all the words to this song? So the song is like, sardines, hey, and pork and beans. And then I started like, I was like, oh, because this is D.C. specific music, man. I grew up with this. It started with this guy, uh, Chuck Brown, who was the godfather of Go-Go. And he died um, in like 2012. But uh, they did this song like, Bustin' Loose, 
talk about like busting loose. And so that one was like the start of Go-Go. And then uh, the Junkyard Band came around in the 90s. And they were uh, from the projects in D.C. Couldn't afford drums. So they played literal pieces of trash. They played like (laughs) shopping carts, upside down buckets, traffic cones, and tin cans. This is how they set it up. And it's all really drum heavy. And so the Junkyard Band came out. And you can still, to this day, see people playing, like, junk drum setups on the corners in D.C. But it never really branched out of there. So then I got on a full go-go tear where I was listening to, like, um... Aloo! 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 Remember that song? No. Oh, my God. It was so good. And, um... And then there was like a scenario. Do you remember the scenario? So what's the what's the what's the scenario? No, it was like three in the morning. The band came out. Four in the morning. You can hear him start to shout. Five in the morning. You're calling a cab. Six in the morning. Talk about the fun she had. Seven in the morning, and she's just getting home. She's talking about the overnight scenario. Scenario. <laughs> I think that one was rare essence. Maybe. I I just like. Spent a whole night just going through my favorite go-go songs and got lost, lost in that world of (laughs) DC, pure DC realness. Today, there was also the Nicki Minaj, Drake, Little Wayne video dropped for fraud. And Nicki Minaj's outfits in this are epic. She's wearing like this rhinestone mesh face mask, fencing face mask. Isn't that what Rihanna was wearing at Coachella? Was she? She was wearing a full body cat rhinestone cat suit, including the face. Oh, maybe. This was like just a fencing mask. Yeah, but with like rhinestones everywhere. I'll have to check out mm. Rihanna's look. Trend alert. Trend alert. Face masks 2017. Don't even show your face in 2017. <laughs> and the song is good, but they the auto tune on Nikki is just way too too much for me. Mm-hmm. I need to tone it down to the auto on the auto tune. Is it like share life after love? Eric? A bit. It's a little bit. I'm a life after love. And then I, I'm a little bit behind on feud, but I did see the John Waters episode. Yes. Where he plays William Castle. He played William Castle and he was so good. If I could just interject about the most recent episode of feud, there was this scene where they have a vicious fight. A, a really personal altercation. And then, like, as the... It's just the two of them. There's nobody else around. And then Betty looks at Joan and says, What was it like to be the most beautiful woman in the world? And Joan said, It was wonderful, but it was never enough. And then Joan looked at Betty and said, What was it like to be the most talented woman in the world? And Betty said, Wonderful. But it was never enough. <laughs> and walked away and I got so verklempt. Oh, It was like, it was legit a love scene in the midst of all their hate. Of all their hate. Aww. Mm. Um, hitting on John, John Waters, dude. Like, so they got him to do that because he is a huge William Castle fan. And uh, in yeah. all of his interviews, he talks about how William Castle inf- uh, influenced him so much because he was like the master of PR pranks and he would like pretend that seats were had electric shocks in them or he would people would jump out at the audience Mm -hmm. and he would have like 
uh, things flying <clears throat> from the sky. Mm-hmm. Like, he didn't, even when people were told him, like, don't do pranks, he was like, all right, I won't do a prank. And then he would come do a prank. I love that kind of stuff. I wish that there was, like, more of that today where people are like, you go to a movie theater and it's like, the 12D experience where they're throwing pies in your face uh-huh. and there's electrocutions in the chairs <laughs> and fog. We could use more William Castle in entertainment these days. Totally. I don't think I'd ever seen a William Castle movie, mm-hmm. but I feel like it would have less of the allure now that, you, that unless it was in a theater with the original prank action. And then um, I got sucked into another really weird hole because I was at a bar watching Callie you're always in a weird hole (laughs) I live in a weird hole um I was at this bar around the corner from my house project parlor and they they play like really old movies you know like just kitschy movies and they were playing this movie which I found it was called Turbo Kid (laughs) and I looked up just in time to see this scene where an umbrella goes inside somebody opens up and all their intestines fly out sick and I was like that is a direct ripoff of a scene from one of my favorite movies of all time, La Bagman. La Bagman is a very little-known 19-minute short movie with over 20-something deaths in it. Which came first? Well, I'll get there. Okay. La Bagman is like a murder ballet. Okay. It is about... It, it was made by these French Canadians. A girl named Anouk, I think is her name... And um, she wrote and directed it and did the special effects. And then there were two other guys um, that also directed it with her. Francis Simard and Jonathan Provost. I don't know. It's French. (laughs) Anyway, they were in their 20s. Um, They watched um, Lloyd Kaufman of Traumas make your own damn movie. They did all the special effects themselves. No budget movie. And then you said it was like a 20-minute movie? It's like 19 minutes. Uh-huh. And they're the actors, and then they're, they're friends of the other actors. The acting is terrible. <laughs> that is not the point. The blood spray is amazing. <laughs> the special effects for no budget are epic. And the way everybody dies, it's like, there's a killer, the bagman. You say his name three times, he appears, he, he kills everybody. It's, like, so over-the-top campy. And then she tries to explain to them that there's this murderer. And then the thug kids are like, whatever. Uh, we don't believe you. So they say Le Bagman three times. And then he shows up and he starts to kill everybody. But I'm talking about, like, reaching his hand in, pulling out someone's intestines. Then people try to run and he throws the intestines and trips people over. And then, like, hits somebody and they fall into a bucket. And that guy's running around and then hits somebody else in a Mallet smashes on the bucket and all this blood comes gushing out. Yes. Mad blood spray. Just blood spraying all over the place. One death hits another death hits another death. All the death, the 20-something deaths happen in like 10 minutes. <laughs> it is amazing. Oh, and then the shove the umbrella in the butt, opens the umbrella, and like this guy's like intestines explode, but it's really just like satin lining in the middle of a torn up trench coat yeah, but in this other movie that you saw at the bar did it did the the umbrella go up the butt or did it go it was it was oh, in the front in this one it went through the front instead of up the butt but so i wrote my friend beth charlesworth and maria gizmondi who had worked with i thought i found out about the Bagman because these two friends of mine were doing a trauma movie called uh poltergeist they were working on it mm-hmm. maria was the poltergeist poltergeist and maria was doing the choreography it's a musical about um, chicken zombies at a fast food place and um, and Beth I think was doing special effects 
And so they were like, you have to see this movie. You're going to love it. And of course I did. We're talking about Le Bagman. Le Bagman. And so I wrote them, the two of them, and I was like, look at this bullshit. I was irate. I was like, someone just stole, stole from those kids. And they were like, it's the kids. They did Turbo Man or, and Turbo oh. Kid. So that came out in 2015. It's the, uh, the girl, Anouk, and one of the guys wrote, did all the special effects. And now I need to watch all the Turbo Man series. Oh, because so I'm they so excited went from their them. short to make a, a feature film. Yes, I'm so excited for them. Turbo Kid is about, like, this kid's obsessed with comic books, and then he becomes, like, a superhero based on a comic book. I just want to watch it for the special effects now that I know that they're involved. I was so excited when it was them. I was like, they didn't get robbed, and they're making it. <laughs> they robbed themselves. <laughs> yeah. They probably figured nobody had seen that 19-minute short thing or stand as hard. Well, I'm glad that before I, you knew it was them that you're willing to defend their honor. And I think that's that's about what I've been watching. You've been watching some, some quality, disgusting things, Callie. <laughs> yes, I have. I have been watching a new Hulu show called Dimension 404. Have you heard of it? No. So it's an anthology series in the style of Black Mirror, of Twilight Zone. I love it, then. Of Night Gallery, um, but more like uh, technology skewed. So in that way, it's like Black Mirror. Black Mirror, yeah. And I was like, yes. Like, don't let BBC have all the great Black Mirror stuff. It's time for Merca to make some, too. <laughs> so... I'm just kidding. I'm not nationalistic in that way. But I, <laughs> I, I, I was just glad to get more of that stuff because Twilight Zone is definitely one of my favorite shows of all time. And oh, really? I'm always wanting to get more of that kind of stuff. So it's an anthology series. Every episode is a standalone. And the cast is really good. Like, you never know who's going to be on it. Like, Leah Michelle is in the first episode. Joel McHale is on it. Patton Oswalt is... I love Patton Oswalt. There's good people in it. And there's good production values. And they keep releasing new ones once a week. The scripts are not good. Oh, really? And I'm watching every single one because I love anthology series that are sci-fi focused, that are horror focused, that are technology sci-fi horror focused. I'm like, this is a show for me. Of course I'm going to watch it. And then literally every single one. I'm like, this could be so good if the script was good, but it's not. <laughs> oh, that's such a bummer. <laughs> it's such a bummer. And I don't know when I'm going to cut off this dysfunctional relationship that I have with <laughs> Dimension 404. The thing with anthology series is it's like every single episode is a new chance for it to be good. Because mm -hmm. it's like all new people, all new storyline. Like maybe this is going to be the one that's good. <sighs> and it comes so close to being good. But, but it's not good, Callie. It's not good, and I'm bummed <laughs> out about it. Beth Ditto, formerly of Gossip, now a solo artist, dropped her video <sighs> Adore for her. Fire. And it is fire. That song is so good. The song is really good. The The video is The great. video is good. It's in a country bar and all kind of men's are fighting and then they start dance battling and it's adorable and and Beth is in a tricked out white 
suit with flames on it that says Beth on the back. Oh, yeah. And there was like, what, I think we talked about, well, there's some weird, crazy buckle situation going on it that I really like. She's such a fashion icon. She has such an amazing voice. I am so glad she's back. How, how long has it been since we've heard that Beth Ditto tracks? It's been her a while. Her voice is so good. Yeah. I'm so happy that she's back. Check out her video fire. It's on YouTube right now. And it's it just will make you happy. It's amazing. Um, I just want to say that in the get down, as it progresses, I'm having trouble believing. And one of the things that I love so much about the get down brothers is how they're sort of all for one and one for all, like group mentality. Mm-hmm. And something that is really upsetting me about part two is that. Shaolin Fantastic sabotages Book's chances of getting into an Ivy League school. And, you know, it's like crabs in a bucket. When someone's about to get out, they just pull them back in. I have a terrible crabs in a bucket story. You have a legitimate crabs in a bucket story? Yeah. When I was young, we were going, we went crabbing and, um, the crabs were in the bucket and I don't know why we all didn't separate the crabs out maybe somebody thought somebody else was going to be doing it and so the crabs were still in the bucket in the morning there was one crab ooh a lone crab and a bunch of destroyed other crabs so that one crab killed all the other crabs? yes it was a crab massacre (laughs) it's crab on crab crime yeah it was terrifying I was a child I cried a lot even though we were going to eat the crabs I was just like you were going to eat those crabs yeah, but can you imagine a bucket battle that went down? A major bucket battle. It's terrifying. Anyway, that's so a yeah, story. it's it's. I'm having some complicated feelings about the brotherhood of the Get Down Brothers because they're doing each other dirty, and I don't like it. But I mean, I, I understand. But it's realistic. I understand that this is just how the how it goes. Who's um, smoking the dust? I haven't gotten that far, but who is on the dust? I'm just gonna say that that a dust epidemic is sweeping the world of the get down. And that's all you need to know Fuck until you see angel. it. I also have an angel accidentally smoked angel dust once. Only a hit, but it smells like goddamn asphalt. I thought crack smelled like asphalt. Maybe I accidentally smoked crack. Did you accidentally smoke crack? I'm pretty sure it was angel dust. All right. Well, if you're on angel dust and you feel like you might be able to fly, try it from the ground. <laughs> yes. Don't jump off of any buildings, kids. And never smoke a blunt that smells like asphalt. For a long time, because angel dust is such a dangerous drug, and because dust rhymes with bust, whenever an intern would leave, we would sing to them. Ah, uh, yes. Thank you, you for coming. coming to bust. Stay, Stay off, off of the, the dust. dust. Enjoy, Enjoy your life. <laughs> I came up with that song with the great Molly Sims when she still worked for bust. That was a classic. There's I think also that, hand motions to it. You can't see us doing it. It's good advice for any young person emerging into the world. Stay off of the dust. Mm-hmm. Um, the E! True Hollywood story is available from the 90s on YouTube. If there's any kind of celebrity and you want to know what they were up to... I love E! True The Hollywood E! True stories. Hollywood story is the best. I mean, I would say that it's a companion piece to Mysteries and Scandals. Mysteries and Scandals will tell you all of the tea on silent screen era mm-hmm. people and golden age of Hollywood people. But if you want to know 
everything there is to know about more contemporary entertainment people, E! True Hollywood Story. There's so many episodes of it on YouTube, and I caught up with the Divine episode. Oh. There's such a good episode about Divine, who is John Waters' muse, who is John Waters' Elizabeth Taylor and all mm-hmm. of his amazing movies. And they have so much amazing footage from, like, behind the scenes of Pink Flamingos. John Waters is the, is one of the talking heads. Mary Vivian Pierce, who has been in Bust before. Yes. Who's one of the Dreamlanders who helped make all of John Waters' best films. She's in it. Mink Stoll. And I love Mink Stoll. I hadn't really heard from divine's ex-boyfriends before Uh and that was really fascinating and there was also a lot of great footage of the coquettes who were an amazing beardy drag troop from san francisco i'm uh, gonna totally go in the 70s and they were so good yeah the e true hollywood story of divine is on youtube check it it's so good and also a whole new blondie video dropped today Blondie has a new album coming out called Pollinator. It's coming out May 5th. And their new song, Long Time, sounds like Heart of Glass. And yet it also, I would say like the backbeat sounds like Heart of Glass. So it's like, imagine like shaking your like disco self to it. But it also sounds new and fresh. There's a whole new video, and it's black and white and very glamorous and New York-y. It's going to be They're a like, great year for Debbie Harry. She's also got a line of clothing coming out with uh, Obey. It's going to be so good. She's such a style icon. I would I would obey anything that she said. The prints that um, that she designed uh, are taken from her actual photo, photos from New York. So they'll be like... Um, like a graffitied wall or like a trash can. And it's like her photos made into clothes? Yeah. Oh, I love that. It's awesome. Hooray, Debbie Harry. You're the best. That's coming in the fall. Check out the new Blondie video for a long time. It's good. Yeah. You'll you'll want to dance to it. So uh, listen to it in your home or wherever it is. We can dance in our office, but if you can't dance yeah. in your office, listen to it in your home or in your car where you can car dance. Yes. That is what I've been watching. This has been lovely. So lovely. Thanks so much to our producer, Rachel Withers, for holding it down. As always, you're a goddess among women. (laughs) Thank you to our pals at the listening booth, Terrence Mickey, Katie Shepard, and Carrie Thomas, for being so hospitable to us every time we come into their cozy little listening booth to make this podcast. Um, And, of course, our girl gang at Bust Magazine. Thanks to you guys. You can find us on Twitter. I'm at Emily Rems. Callie's at Kalisha Jenkins, but she won't I check don't it. Check it. Don't even find out more <laughs> about Bust by visiting us at bust.com. That's the best place to reach us. And finally, please rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Show some love. Show us some love. It really, really helps us get the word out, and we super duper appreciate it. Until next time, Callie. Until next time. Mwah. Mwah.